Did you ever get to the point where you were going to give up or did you believe the whole time? I mean, I've given up. I've given up on ideas like, you know, 20 times myself. I'm Scott McGrew. Welcome to Sand Hill Road. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Three years later, he's been five years in stealth mode and asking another guy. Stealth mode. So I think the first thing that I hear sometimes from early stage entrepreneurs is, oh, we're a stealth company. And we actually stayed in very much a stealth mode. One of the things I've always found sort of tantalizing about some Silicon Valley startups is the idea of stealth mode, a startup that won't tell you what it's starting up. As a reporter, a secret always entices me. Yeah, hi, my name is Arvind Jain. I am the CEO of Glean Technologies. Glean Technologies, which created a system for searching and indexing communications for business, just came out of stealth. So I invited CEO Arvind Jain to sit down and talk about stealth along with Quentin Clark. My name is Quentin Clark. I'm an investor at the venture capital firm General Catalyst. So tell me about stealth. I mean, what, is, what does stealth even mean? We hear about this, but, but it, and it sounds kind of, you know, uh, sexy and, and spy novel-y, but what is a company in stealth? Well, a company in stealth is something that nobody else knows about. So like, you know, we, we get started, we have an idea start to work on it, but we don't tell anyone what we're doing. And there are reasons for it. I mean, I know we, you know we can talk about that, but essentially that's what it means, that it's a company that hasn't been announced. People don't know about it. So what's the process of, of bringing people in? I mean, obviously you have to hire people. You have to go to venture capital. What's the process of hush, hush, don't tell anybody? Yeah, so like normally like, you know, what happens is since since nobody knows about the company, the initial set of team that we build, you know, gets built mostly with people who you know before, like people who you have worked with. So you'll go and talk to them and, and you know, tell them about your... People people you trust. People you trust and, you know, uh, and and you tell them about your great idea, you know, hope, you know, hope, hope they get excited and join you. Uh, and, you know, of course, uh, the, the venture capital, you know, folks, you know, they all understand this, like, you know, they, you know, they, they want to meet with you uh, entrepreneurs and... And so for them, I don't think it matters, you know, whether you're stealth or not. Like, right. That's their business. So in your case in Glean, what what secrets were you protecting when you were in stealth? Yeah, so I, I think the first and foremost, we were, um, we were solving a problem that we felt that, you know, other, other folks were not interested yet in solving. But we felt, you know, it was a big, it was a big area, big problem, which is going, you know, which was going to get worse over the next few years. So we wanted to have that head start, build a really good product to solve that problem. 
So Quentin, tell me about when he came to you and said, hey, he had already raised some money, about 15 million, right? Uh, and you heard the idea. Tell me the, the, the process of hearing that idea and the decision making you made. Yeah, I was introduced to Arvind uh, by one of my partners. Arvind is a known entity in in the community and uh, is close to other founders that we work with. And so I was I was eager to take the introduction because his reputation preceded him. I'll break in here with that background. Arvind Jain is a Silicon Valley rock star, having founded cloud data company Rubric, a four billion dollar company, and before that as a distinguished engineer at Google. I didn't know what he was really working on. I was just told something in search was all I was told. <laughs> and it, it was very good for us because I've been looking into the enterprise search space for a while. And I, I sort of on my own created a you know, rubric, if you will, for what I thought it would take to be successful approaching that problem in that space. And when Arvind and I first met, you know, we really hit it off because what they were doing and how they're approaching it and his background and the team that he built at Glean was was exactly aligned with kind of what I learned looking into that problem space over the last couple of years. It's remarkable you were looking into and thinking about the problem when Arvin comes to you and says, "Hey, I have a secret project," and it's more or less the same thing. Yeah, and that's what that's when it gets to. I was then selling him on getting involved, <laughs> as opposed to him trying to sell a venture capitalist on on providing capital because I I spent enough time in it to know how hard it is technically the team that he'd put together. And one of the things that I, I've said to people is, uh, near as I can tell, they made no mistakes building the underlying technology. And it's because of the kind of the quality of the team that they put together. And it's hard. It's hard to get right. I've heard that over and over from, from uh, investors is the team, you know, it's like, well, what are they working on? I don't care. <laughs> it's that team. And he's put together an amazing team. Yeah, it's, it is a very high quality team. And it's a problem space that requires that. It's not just another SaaS app, throw something up there a little cheaper, a little faster, maybe see if you can get some traction. This is a deep, deep, deep technical problem. Uh, in fact, in, in a lot of ways, it's a deceivingly complex problem because it looks simple on the surface. Arvind, you've uh, raised about 55 million. Is that right? Yes. These days, that doesn't sound like very much money. And I know that's absurd to say, yeah. But some, you know, some of these funding rounds are just nuts. Uh, why is fifty-five million dollars enough for now? Yeah, I mean, so we we are about we're a small company. We have about fifty people, and the you know that that capital actually is going to last a long time. You know, with with that size team, so we felt it's adequate. I mean, I think the other thing is also um, there are like different ways to build business. You know, you can go and raise a very very large amount of capital. Uh, and you, you don't really know what to do with it. Sometimes, you know, that puts pressure on you to then say, you know, you got to use this money that you that you raise. You know, if you raise two hundred million dollars, like you need to grow fast, faster than what you can really uh, actually manage to sort of accommodate and and build a healthy, you know, team. So, you know, for us, like our strategy is to is to make sure that you know we have enough capital to do what we need, but then like not have that undue pressure of trying to grow faster than what we can really uh, accommodate, you know, as a team. You've put several companies together now. What what other lessons would you give younger founders? You know, don't take too much money is one of them. What other lessons would you pass on to younger founders? Yeah, I, I think the, the first, like most important lesson, according to me, is just having belief in your idea. 
like oftentimes I see so many people start working on ideas and like, you know, you, you often hear that, you know, startups, like nine out of 10 startups fail. And I, I like to actually correct people that I think it's more like 99 out of 100 startups fail because, you know, the, you know, the other 90 fail in people's own mind. Like, you know, it's, you know, it's, you know, your idea and like you give up after some time. And so, so that's number one. Like, you know, when you are solving a problem, think simple. If, if it's a problem that needs to be solved, you can solve it. You can build a company with it. Did you, ever, did you ever get to the point where you're going to give up or did you believe the whole time? And well, I, either this company I, or the company before or? I mean, I've given up. I've given up on ideas like, you know, 20 times myself. You know, like many, many things that I thought were problems that had to be solved. But then like, you know, as an engineer, you, you start to think about what can go wrong. And and then at some point, you know, you sort of just start, you know, stop believing in your own in your own idea. So yeah, I've, I've gone through that journey myself many times where I wanted to start something and then I chose not to. And nobody rejected me. Nobody, you know, I didn't go to a investor who says no, I don't like this idea. You know, I rejected those ideas myself. So the so I think with luckily, like you know, with the with the with the current problem that we're solving with Glean, it's it's actually such a fundamental problem, you know it, like, you know, everybody you can, you know, go talk to, they struggle with finding information within their workplace. You were nodding your head when we were talking about, uh, you know, giving up on, on ideas. Yeah. I mean, most early investing, of course, is all about founders. Venture capitalist Quentin Clark from General Catalyst, which invested in the latest round. And it's all about finding people that have the conviction uh, about the problem they're trying to solve. And we often talk about this in a couple of different ways. One, founder fit for the problem. Like, why does the founder care about this? And and why do they have potentially an advantage uh, to prosecute it and to get after it? And we also talk a lot about uh, curiosity and will because starting a company, it it takes a lot of will. It is it is not an easy journey, and it's not for everybody. And you have to you have to be very open to learning along the way, and you have to be open to the reality that there's going to be challenges and obstacles, and you have to have that kind of perseverance. and And that's a that's kind of a personal characteristic, and it's not necessarily something that is only just inherent. It's something that 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 people can develop over time as well. You know, they may go through some part of their career happily learning. And larger companies and uh, and absorbing all that, and then kind of wake up one day with just this energy and this charge to to go tackle something. Have you run into um, people pitching you in which you thought to yourself, "No, they don't have the passion. They don't have the they they found this problem and and they want to be a CEO of a startup." Yeah, I think most people that know the venture capital world pretty well know that most VCs take literally hundreds of new company introductions a year. And we only make a few investments. So the answer to your question is yes. You know, we've <laughs> certainly encountered, you know, people that uh, it's, a, it's a good idea, but maybe they don't have the right background. So why are they particularly positioned to win? Or it's a good idea, but they don't really show any sort of grit and will to, to take on the hard stuff. And it's, it's, it's not that difficult to get to the bottom of that pretty quickly when you meet people. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Arvin, how do you become passionate about office search? Well, it's a problem that I have faced my entire career. Um, and the, 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 the way we got started on Glean was that before this, uh, we were building another company uh, um, called Rubrik. And we'd, we'd grown very fast, very rapidly. Like in four years, we were more than 1,000 people. And, and we noticed that as a company, we were not getting you know, the same level of productivity across our, our organization. And so we would ask people, we'd, you know, we would do annual surveys. And the first complaint, you know, the, the biggest complaint that people would actually come, you know, uh, write about was that we cannot find anything in this company. I don't know where to go and look for information. I don't know who to go and ask for help. So that was the biggest problem that that you know our our team reported, and I started to look into it. Um, I mean, of course, I was myself facing the same problem, and um, and so as we sort of dug deeper into that, you know, figure out how to solve it, look for products in this market, I realized, oh, you know, there's nobody who wants to solve this problem. There's no products in this market for this, and this is such so fundamental. Um, so then we went and talked to a few other startups, you know, and other companies that were fast growing and see if they were facing the same challenges. Maybe they solved this problem and they hadn't. So that, that was sort of like, you know, how this got started. Yeah, I can think of two examples of what I think you're saying is, uh, you know, God, years ago, the fellows that created Hotmail yeah. uh, were trying to create anonymous emails so they could talk about their other project without their bosses uh, catching them. And it turns out, well, Hotmail was the actual product and then Slack. Slack started out as something, just an inner office thing so they could solve some other problem. And then somebody said, wait, hold on a second. I think this is our product. Uh, and so you're saying that at Rubrik, you were trying to find data within the enterprise. Yeah. Uh, uh, all the information that you had, you couldn't very well. And that was Glean. Exactly, yeah. And and the reason this happens is because like how, um, how we use technology today, like as a business, you end up using hundreds or thousands of different applications, each, you know, solving some different business need. So your data sort of, you know, gets fragmented across all those places. So now, like, as a as an individual, I don't know where to go and look for something when I need something. You know, it's time to think about a discussion I had with you. Like, did we have it on Slack or, or email? Or was it, like, you know, on, on a document, you know, where I commented and you answered that? There's so many places, you know, where that discussion could have happened. And it just becomes harder, like, you know, as, you know, companies start to use more and more tools. Quentin, uh, when you hear back from client companies, uh, you you were early to this idea of thinking, yeah, this would work. It's got to be satisfying to hear people say, it does. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone with a job 
basically, and every student and kind of like everyone that's that's involved in some way or shape or form with computing experiences this problem where they know there's a piece of information out there. They may not know who to turn to, to, to find that piece of information. And they certainly don't feel like they have an interface to go to that can help them sort through everything that they've been exposed to and, and help them pinpoint exactly what it is they're trying to get to. And, you know, we've, we've done these surveys and studies, right, where we know things like up to a day a week people are spending looking for stuff, which is sort of absurd. Computers are supposed to be helping us, not something that we need to kind of manage and feed and care for in order for it to let us do our job. We had to kind of reverse that cycle. And it starts with a recognition that we're in a, in a world where all this information is out there and is available, but you have to kind of understand it through that end user's experience and their lens and through the other people that they work with. And, you know, Glean's taken a very, you know, very opinionated point of view on the product to ensure that it's it's really designing around those moments where people need the information they're looking for and even get ahead of it, right? Not just wait for them to ask for it, but I can I can see what you're working on. I know what your calendar looks like. I know what your email looks like. Why can't I just hand you the stuff that you right. need? Don't make it a paper paperclip though. <laughs> Don't worry. <Yeah. laughs> I did work at Microsoft during that era. I was going to so ask you. So you worked at Microsoft and and Dropbox and and SAP. You must have experienced this yourself. You get into one of those mega corporations. Well, of course, uh, yeah. And and yeah, just finding the data itself. Now, as a former CTO, are you you can give Glean good advice? Uh, are there times in which you back away from some of your companies and think, I was the CTO, I am not the CTO of of these companies, my portfolio companies, and I had best just shut my mouth? Yeah, that's basically all the time. I, <laughs> look, the, the truth is that Arvind is way more qualified to get after this problem than I am, you know, just from a from a technical background standpoint. I mean, the the, the job of venture is not to run an organization. It's to it's to be a good advisor, it's to be a good mentor, it's to help them connect the dots, you know, be, between the work they're doing and what else is going on in the world, to help them with customer development, to help them with hiring. The job is not to tell them what to do. And you're relatively new venture capitalist. What two years? Yeah. What what surprises you about the job? What did you not expect? Um, there are some things I definitely did expect, which uh, which are things like um, last year I got to spend time understanding, you know, measuring brain signals or measuring additive manufacturing for uh, an investment we made in, in relativity space. Uh, as examples, so you get to do this really interesting intellectual work. So that was that was definitely something I was expecting. The things that I was not expecting are just the the, the nature of the work is there's a lot of um, short-term work that's involved. Like Arvin calls or texts me and says, hey, I need like a perspective on this person or I need to bounce something off of you. He needs that now. That's not, in my operating jobs, I got I, I get a note from somebody in the team and they get on my calendar, <laughs> I don't know, maybe a month later, something like that. And so you have to kind of reshift how you kind of think about time and make sure that, you know, you're kind of leaning in on everything on a day-to-day basis. But there's a part of that that's actually very freeing because you're not kind of carrying this stuff on for months and months and months. You know, you have long-term objectives with the companies that you invest in, and these are long journeys. They're 10-year journeys. And you have a bunch of short-term stuff that you're focusing on helping with. Arvin, tell me about that relationship with Quentin and with Venture. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like he says, I mean, it's, uh, you know, we feel like, you know, Quentin is always available for us. Like, you know, when we need help, any advice, 
And and certainly, like, you know, he's never told us, like, oh, no, you know, you should be building the system, you know, in this particular <laughs> way. You know, I know it more, like, you know, <laughs> that, that, that kind of thing that doesn't happen. You were at Google for a long time. What best practices or ideas did you take from Google that you are now using still? Yeah, actually, quite a few. Like, I, I feel like, you know, for me, my career and most of my learnings actually happened at Google. Uh, I spent more than a decade there. Um, the the biggest lesson that I learned, and this was actually very unique about Google, was that technology comes first. The the folks who build the product, who you know, the engineers, they are really the heart of the company of any technology company. And so so like make sure that they feel like you know they're the bo- they're the bosses in the company, right? You know, it's not the managers, you know, it's them. You know, they are the you know the innovation engine of the company, and that's the so that's the approach that I followed at both you know both of my companies after Google. That's that's number one. You know, hire the best people and let them be let them you know be free. Let them let them figure out how they want to build the product, how they want to build the team. Give them full freedom. When did you start coding? What got you interested in that? I started coding in in high school. Um, uh, in, initially, it was just like it was a subject I had to actually do it. So like you know, it wasn't you know, it wasn't so much you know. My, give me a my, time frame. What are we looking at at high school? What what years? So this is uh, nineteen like eighty nine. Okay, 90. all right. Uh, so very early days, and we had we had a com- you know computer curriculum. You had to sort of go and learn basic and yeah. Uh, Pascal, Pascal, and a few other languages there. So, so it was more like curriculums. I actually, I actually didn't build like a love for computers at that time. Uh, really, the mostly like I thought it was like you know I was more interested in math. You know, other than you know, that was more fun for me or science than 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 computers uh, initially. Uh, but then I learned that you know you could actually. Like you know, you know, like the the video games we were playing, but also these programs, and that sort of got me more excited. Oh, you know, it looks like you can do more. <laughs> you know, you can do what, what, fun what things sort of things. Did you do? What did you solve, or what did you? Uh, you know, what was what was the very first sort of program that the? Well, I I, I uh, so the like I remember the first thing you know, first few problems that I solved was. There's a, there's a there's a there's a there's a problem called Black Queen. Like you know, sort of or you you put oh, eight queens. Sorry, so where you had to put eight queens on the chessboard so they're not attacking each other. And that was sort of, you know, that was a problem that was given to us. And it was exciting to me to solve it. We learned a lot, like, you know, like how to just solve that problem. Um, we built this um, other uh, game called Cows and Bulls, you know, like, you know, so we used to play it on paper before and then I wrote a program for it. So it was exciting, like, you know, when you sort of get to, you know, build these things, you know, and build games, you know, which you play, uh, that that is sort of started to get get me more into. It's a pretty coding. common experience. Yeah, I was gonna I'm gonna ask you about your your childhood in a second, but cows and bulls is that I, that I'm from the Midwest. I don't know that one. What is the? Well, well it's a game where you have to guess a combination of four digit uh, uh, number. Okay. And you have to guess all the digits and the positions of it. You have, you you have to guess the exact uh, the actual number, and you get seven tries. Oh, I think of a four digit number. You have seven tries to figure to, out to what figure it, it is. out. Yeah, and I can like every time I I make a guess, and you have to tell me how many digits I got right and how many. Oh, this sounds very right. much like the the game Mastermind. 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 Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. it's Mastermind. Very yeah. good. Okay, yeah, yeah. cows and bulls. Yes, it's like uh, knots and crosses and things. Yeah, the the, the different terminology. Um, so, I, Quentin, I looked at your LinkedIn. Uh, so, I'm going to put you a couple years earlier in high school than Arvind, 
but what were you? Same what, era. Same era. What what uh, what computer did you use, and what were you coding? My first computer was a Commodore sixty four. Oh yeah, and mine was, was an Apple two plus. And okay. I was I was writing in BASIC, uh, and the, the when I when I got the Commodore, the only thing it could do is be turned on and and, yeah. and, and write code. <laughs> like there was no games or not, not even like a disk drive. There was nothing. That's all I had was like sit down and write code. And, and the very first things I wrote were games. I mean, that's, yeah. that's a very, I think it's a very common experience, you know, amongst our generation. Well, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's hard to explain to an older or younger generation, you know, imagine an Xbox in which you have to create the game as well. <laughs> yes. No, I did yeah. a I did a horse racing game uh, and I remember running out of available memory and being proud of myself. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, it was going to yeah. be that, that complex. Uh, and then the other thing is I had a single disk drive and, and I've admitted this on this podcast before, but, you know, we would pirate, we didn't know the word. Uh, games by, you know, putting in a blank disc, letting it run for a second, pulling that out, putting that next one in, pulling out, et cetera. But I think we had more fun programming. Yeah. Yeah. I look, it was, it was, a, it was a, an interesting era in that uh, everything was, everything was new. Everything was still being figured out and explored and whatever else. And you got to kind of follow that along as a, you know, as a person, and and you know, here we are, so many years later, and and you know, the impact computing's made is outrageous, and honestly, we're still at the beginning, we're still in the early innings of how computers are affecting our world. Fellow former teenage computer geeks, one a CEO, the other a venture capitalist, Arvin Jane of Glean and Rubric, and Quentin Clark, managing director at General Catalyst. We'll take a few weeks off for the holidays, make family the priority it should be, and we'll be back after that with Lightspeed Venture Partners, Nicole Quinn. Have you ever watched those uh, Black Mirror episodes? Um, oh, I love Black Mirror. Exactly. Or Ready Player One, you know, or some of these very futuristic um, shows. Um, part of what I love about our job is I think that you learn nuggets of the future. Sand Hill Road is produced by Sean Myers under the leadership of Sarah Bueno and Stephanie Adruni. For more interviews with Silicon Valley's most influential entrepreneurs, check me out on TV at Press Here. That's Sunday mornings on NBC Bay Area and everywhere in the world on iTunes and at PressHereTV.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.